0: Story Nine of Youth and the Bright Medusa and the Troll Garden by Willa Cather. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story Nine: Flavia and Her Artists, Part One. As the train neared Terrytown, Imogen Willard began to wonder why she had consented to be one of Flavia's house party at all. She had not felt enthusiastic about it since leaving the city, and was experiencing a prolonged ebb of purpose, a current of chilling indecision, under which she vainly sought for the motive which had induced her to accept Flavia's invitation. Perhaps it was a vague curiosity to see Flavia's husband, who had been the magician of her childhood and the hero of innumerable Arabian fairy tales. Perhaps it was a desire to see M. Roux, whom Flavia had announced as the especial attraction of the occasion. Perhaps it was a wish to study that remarkable woman in her own setting. Imogen admitted a mild curiosity concerning Flavia. She was in the habit of taking people rather seriously, but somehow found it impossible to take Flavia so, because of the very vehemence and insistence with which Flavia demanded it submerged in her studies imogen had of late years seen very little of flavia but flavia in her hurried visits to new york between her excursions from studio to studio her luncheons with this lady who had to play at a matinee and her dinners with that singer who had an evening concert had seen enough of her friend's handsome daughter to conceive for her an inclination of such violence and assurance as only flavia could afford the fact that imogen had shown rather marked capacity in certain esoteric lines of scholarship and had decided to specialize in a well-sounding branch of philology at the ecole des chartres had fairly placed her in that category of interesting people whom Flavia considered her natural affinities and lawful prey. When Imogen stepped upon the station platform she was immediately appropriated by her hostess, whose commanding figure and assurance of attire she had recognized from a distance. She was hurried into a high tilbury, and Flavia, taking the driver's cushion beside her, gathered up the reins with an experienced hand. My dear girl, she remarked as she turned the horses up the street, I was afraid the train might be late. Monsieur Rue insisted upon coming up by boat, and did not arrive until after seven. To think of Monsieur Rue's being in this part of the world at all, and subject to the vicissitudes of river-boats! Why in the world did he come over? queried Imogen, with lively interest. He is the sort of man who must dissolve and become a shadow outside of Paris. Oh, we have a houseful of the most interesting people, said Flavia professionally. We have actually managed to get Ivan Schmetzkin. He was ill in California at the close of his concert tour, you know, and he is recuperating with us after his wearing journey from the coast. Then there is Jules Martel, the painter, signor donati the tenor professor schott who has dug up assyria you know restoff the russian chemist alcy buisson the philologist frank wellington the novelist and will maidenwood the editor of woman then there is my second cousin jemima broadwood who made such a hit in pinero's comedy last winter and frau Lichtenfeld. have you read her Imogen confessed her utter ignorance of Frau Lichtenfeld, and Flavia went on, "'Well, she is a most remarkable person, one of those advanced German women, a militant iconoclast, and this drive will not be long enough to permit of my telling you her history. Such a story! Her novels were the talk of all Germany when I was there last, and several of them have been suppressed. An honour in Germany, I understand.' at whose door has been translated. I am so unfortunate as not to read German. I'm all excitement at the prospect of meeting Miss Broadwood, said Imogen. I've seen her in nearly everything she does. Her stage personality is delightful. She always reminds me of a nice, clean, pink-and-white boy who has just had his cold bath and come down all aglow for a run before breakfast." yes but isn't it unfortunate that she will limit herself to those minor comedy parts that are so little appreciated in this country one ought to be satisfied with nothing less than the best ought one the peculiar breathy tone in which flavia always uttered that word best the most worn in her vocabulary always jarred on imogen and always made her abdurate i don't at all agree with you she said reservedly I thought every one admitted that the most remarkable thing about Miss Broadwood is her admirable sense of fitness, which is rare enough in her profession. Flavia could not endure being contradicted. She always seemed to regard it in the light of a defeat, and usually colored unbecomingly. Now she changed the subject. Look, my dear, she cried, there is Frau Lichtenfeld now, coming to meet us doesn't she look as if she had just escaped out of valhalla she is actually over six feet imogen saw a woman of immense stature in a very short skirt and a broad flapping sun hat striding down the hillside at a long swinging gait the refugee from valhalla approached panting Her heavy Teutonic features were scarlet from the rigor of her exercise, and her hair, under her flapping sun-hat, was tightly befrizzled about her brow. She fixed her sharp little eyes upon Imogen and extended both her hands. "'So this is the little friend,' she cried in a rolling baritone. Imogen was quite as tall as her hostess, but everything she reflected is comparative. After the introduction Flavia apologized i wish i could ask you to drive up with us frau Lichtenfeld. ah no cried the giantess drooping her head in humorous caricature of a time-honoured pose of the heroines of sentimental romances it has never been my fate to be fitted into corners i have never known the sweet privileges of the tiny Laughing, Flavia started the ponies, and the colossal woman, standing in the middle of the dusty road, took off her white hat and waved them a farewell, which, in scope of gesture, recalled the salute of a plumed cavalier. When they arrived at the house, Imogen looked about her with keen curiosity, for this was veritably the work of Flavia's hands, the materialization of hopes long deferred they passed directly into a large square hall, with a gallery on three sides, studio fashion. This opened, at one end, into a Dutch breakfast-room, beyond which was a large dining-room. At the other end of the hall was the music-room. There was a smoking-room, which one entered through the library behind the staircase. On the second floor there was the same general arrangement, a square hall, and, opening from it, the guest chambers, or, as Miss Broadwood termed them, the cages. When Imogen went to her room, the guests had begun to return from their various afternoon excursions. Boys were gliding through the halls with ice-water, covered trays, and flowers, colliding with maids and valets who carried shoes and other articles of wearing apparel yet all this was done in response to inaudible bells on felt soles and in hushed voices so that there was very little confusion about it flavia had at last built her house and hewn out her seven pillars there could be no doubt now that the asylum for talent the sanatorium of the arts so long projected was an accomplished fact her ambition had long ago outgrown the dimensions of her house on prairie avenue besides she had bitterly complained that in chicago traditions were against her her project had been delayed by arthur's doggedly standing out for the michigan woods but flavia knew well enough that certain of the rare aves the best could not be lured so far away from the seaport so she declared herself for the historic hudson and knew no retreat the establishing of a new york office had at length overthrown arthur's last valid objection to quitting the lake country for three months of the year and arthur could be wearied into anything as those who knew him knew flavia's house was the mirror of her exultation it was a temple to the gods of victory a sort of triumphal arch in her earlier days she had swallowed experiences that would have unmanned one of less torrential enthusiasm or blind pertinacity. But of late years her determination had told. She saw less and less of those mysterious persons with mysterious obstacles in their path and mysterious grievances against the world who had once frequented her house on Prairie Avenue in the stead of this multitude of the unarrived she had now the few the select the best of all that band of indigent retainers who had once fed at her board like the suitors in the halls of penelope only alcy buisson still retained his right of entrée he alone had remembered that ambition hath a knapsack at his back wherein he puts alms to oblivion, and he alone had been considerate enough to do what Flavia had expected of him, and give his name a current value in the world. Then, as Miss Broadwood put it, he was her first real one, and Flavia, like Mohammed, could remember her first believer. The house of song, as Miss Broadwood had called it, was the outcome of Flavia's more exalted strategies a woman who made less a point of sympathizing with their delicate organisms might have sought to plunge these phosphorescent pieces into the tepid bath of domestic life but flavia's discernment was deeper this must be a refuge where the shrinking soul the sensitive brain should be unconstrained where the caprice of fancy should outweigh the civil code if necessary She considered that this much Arthur owed her, for she, in her turn, had made concessions. Flavia had, indeed, quite an equipment of epigrams to the effect that our century creates the iron genie which evolve its fairy tales, but the fact that her husband's name was annually painted upon some ten thousand threshing machines in reality contributed very little to her happiness. Arthur Hamilton was born and had spent his boyhood in the West Indies, and physically he had never lost the brand of the tropics. His father, after inventing the machine which bore his name, had returned to the States to patent and manufacture it. After leaving college, Arthur had spent five years ranching in the West and traveling abroad. Upon his father's death he had returned to Chicago and, to the astonishment of all his friends, had taken up the business, without any demonstration of enthusiasm, but with quiet perseverance, marked ability, and amazing industry. Why or how a self-sufficient, rather ascetic man of thirty, indifferent in manner, wholly negative in all other personal relations, should have doggedly wooed and finally married, Flavia Malcolm, was a problem that had vexed older heads than Imogen's. While Imogen was dressing, she heard a knock at her door, and a young woman entered whom she at once recognized as Jemima Broadwood, Jimmy Broadwood she was called by people in her own profession. While there was something unmistakably professional in her frank savoir-faire, Jimmy's was one of those faces to which the rouge never seems to stick her eyes were keen and grey as a windy april day and so far from having been seared by calcium lights you might have fancied they had never looked on anything less bucolic than growing fields and country fairs she wore her thick brown hair short and parted at the side and rather than hinting at freakishness this seemed admirably in keeping with her fresh boyish countenance she extended to imogen a large well-shaped hand which it was a pleasure to clasp ah you are miss willard and i see i need not introduce myself flavia said you were kind enough to express a wish to meet me and i preferred to meet you alone do you mind if i smoke why certainly not said imogen somewhat disconcerted and looking hurriedly about for matches there be calm i'm always prepared said miss broadwood checking Imogen's flurry with a soothing gesture, and producing an oddly-fashioned silver match-case from some mysterious recess in her dinner-gown. She sat down in a deep chair, crossed her patent leather oxfords, and lit her cigarette. This match-box, she went on meditatively, once belonged to a Prussian officer. He shot himself in his bathtub, and I bought it at the sale of his effects." Imogen had not yet found any suitable reply to make to this rather irrelevant confidence when Miss Broadwood turned to her cordially. "'I'm awfully glad you've come, Miss Willard, though I've not quite decided why you did it. I wanted very much to meet you. Flavia gave me your thesis to read.' "'Why, how funny!' ejaculated Imogen. "'On the contrary,' remarked Miss Broadwood. "'I thought it decidedly lacked humor." I meant, stammered Imogen, beginning to feel very much like Alice in Wonderland, I meant that I thought it rather strange Mrs. Hamilton should fancy you would be interested. Miss Broadwood laughed heartily. Now, don't let my rudeness frighten you. Really, I found it very interesting, and no end impressive." YOU SEE, MOST PEOPLE IN MY PROFESSION ARE GOOD FOR ABSOLUTELY NOTHING ELSE, AND THEREFORE THEY HAVE A DEEP AND ABIDING CONVICTION THAT IN SOME OTHER LINE THEY MIGHT HAVE SHOWN. STRANGE TO SAY, SCHOLARSHIP IS THE OBJECT OF OUR ENVIOUS AND PARTICULAR ADMIRATION. ANYTHING IN TYPE IMPRESSES US GREATLY. THAT'S WHY SO MANY OF US MARRY AUTHORS OR NEWSPAPERMEN AND LEAD MISERABLE LIVES miss broadwood saw that she had rather disconcerted imogen and blithely tacked in another direction you see she went on tossing aside her half-consumed cigarette some years ago flavia would not have deemed me worthy to open the pages of your thesis nor to be one of her house-party of the chosen for that matter i've pinero to thank for both pleasures It all depends on the class of business I'm playing, whether I'm in favor or not. Flavia is my second cousin, you know, so I can say whatever disagreeable things I choose with perfect good grace. I'm quite desperate for someone to laugh with, so I'm going to fasten myself upon you, for, of course, one can't expect any of these gypsy dago people to see anything funny. I don't intend you shall lose the humor of the situation.' "'What do you think of Flavia's infirmary for the arts, anyway?' "'Well, it's rather too soon for me to have any opinion at all,' said Imogen, as she again turned to her dressing. "'So far you are the only one of the artists I've met.' "'One of them?' echoed Miss Broadwood. "'One of the artists? My offence may be rank, my dear, but I really don't deserve that.' Come, now, whatever badges of my tribe I may bear upon me, just let me divest you of any notion that I take myself seriously. Imogen turned from the mirror in blank astonishment and sat down on the arm of a chair facing her visitor. I can't fathom you at all, Miss Broadwood,' she said frankly. Why shouldn't you take yourself seriously? What's the use of beating about the bush?' surely you know that you are one of the few players on this side of the water who have at all the spirit of natural or ingenuous comedy thank you my dear now we are quite even about the thesis aren't we oh did you mean it well you are a clever girl but you see it doesn't do to permit oneself to look at it in that light if we do we always go to pieces and waste our substance a-starring as the unhappy daughter of the capulets but there i hear flavia coming to take you down and just remember i'm not one of them-the artists i mean flavia conducted imogen and miss broadwood downstairs as they reached the lower hall they heard voices from the music-room and dim figures were lurking in the shadows under the gallery, but their hostess led straight to the smoking-room. The June evening was chilly, and a fire had been lighted in the fireplace. Through the deepening dusk the firelight flickered upon the pipes and curious weapons on the wall, and threw an orange glow over the Turkish hangings. One side of the smoking-room was entirely of glass, separating it from the conservatory which was flooded with white light from the electric bulbs there was about the darkened room some suggestion of certain chambers in the arabian nights opening on a court of palms perhaps it was partially this memory-evoking suggestion that caused imogen to start so violently when she saw dimly in a blur of shadow the figure of a man who sat smoking in a low deep chair before the fire he was long and thin and brown his long nerveless hands drooped from the arms of his chair a brown moustache shaded his mouth and his eyes were sleepy and apathetic when imogen entered he rose indolently and gave her his hand his manner barely courteous i am glad you arrived promptly miss willard he said with an indifferent drawl flavia was afraid you might be late you had a pleasant ride up i hope oh very thank you mr hamilton she replied feeling that he did not particularly care whether she replied at all flavia explained that she had not yet had time to dress for dinner as she had been attending to Mr. Will Maidenwood, who had become faint after hurting his finger in an obdurate window, and immediately excused herself. As she left, Hamilton turned to Miss Broadwood with a rather spiritless smile. "'Well, Jimmy,' he remarked, "'I brought up a piano-box full of fireworks for the boys. How do you suppose we'll manage to keep them until the fourth?' We can't, unless we steel ourselves to deny there are any on the premises,' said Miss Broadwood, seating herself on a low stool by Hamilton's chair and leaning back against the mantel. "'Have you seen Helen, and has she told you the tragedy of the tooth?' "'She met me at the station with her tooth wrapped up in tissue paper. I had tea with her an hour ago. Better sit down, Miss Willard.' he rose and pushed a chair toward imogen who was standing peering into the conservatory we are scheduled to dine at seven but they seldom get around before eight by this time imogen had made out that here the plural pronoun third person always referred to the artists as hamilton's manner did not spur one to cordial intercourse and as his attention seemed directed to miss broadwood in so far as it could be said to be directed to any one she sat down facing the conservatory and watched him unable to decide in how far he was identical with the man who had first met flavia malcolm in her mother's house twelve years ago did he at all remember having known her as a little girl and why did his indifference hurt her so after all these years? Had some remnant of her childish affection for him gone on living somewhere down in the sealed caves of her consciousness, and had she really expected to find it possible to be fond of him again? Suddenly she saw a light in the man's sleepy eyes, an unmistakable expression of interest and pleasure that fairly startled her. She turned quickly in the direction of his glance, and saw Flavia just entering, dressed for dinner, and lit by the effulgence of her most radiant manner. Most people considered Flavia handsome, and there was no gainsaying that she carried her five-and-thirty years splendidly. Her figure had never grown matronly, and her face was of the sort that does not show wear. Its blonde tints were as fresh and enduring as enamel— and quite as hard. Its usual expression was one of tense, often strained animation which compressed her lips nervously. A perfect scream of animation, Miss Broadwood had called it, created and maintained by sheer indomitable force of will. Flavia's appearance on any scene, whatever, made a ripple caused a certain agitation and recognition, and among impressionable people a certain uneasiness. For all her sparkling assurance of manner, Flavia was certainly always ill at ease, and even more certainly anxious. She seemed not convinced of the established order of material things, seemed always trying to conceal her feeling that walls might crumble, chasms open, or the fabric of her life fly to the winds in irretrievable entanglement. At least this was the impression Imogen got from the note in Flavia which was so manifestly false. Hamilton's keen, quick, satisfied glance at his wife had recalled to Imogen all her inventory of speculations about them. She looked at him with compassionate surprise, as a child she had never permitted herself to believe that Hamilton cared at all for the woman who had taken him away from her, and since she had begun to think about them again it had never occurred to her that any one could become attached to Flavia in that deeply personal and exclusive sense. It seemed quite as irrational as trying to possess oneself of Broadway at noon. When they went out to dinner, Imogen realized the completeness of Flavia's triumph. They were people of one name, mostly, like kings, people whose names stirred the imagination like a romance or a melody. With the notable exception of M. Roux, Imogen had seen most of them before, either in concert halls or lecture rooms, but they looked noticeably older and dimmer than she remembered them opposite her sat Schmelzkin, the russian pianist a short corpulent man with an apoplectic face and purplish skin his thick iron-grey hair tossed back from his forehead next to the german giantess sat the italian tenor the tiniest of men pale with soft light hair much in disorder very red lips and fingers yellowed by cigarettes Frau liechtenfeld shone in a gown of emerald green fitting so closely as to enhance her natural floridness however to do the good lady justice let her attire be never so modest it gave an effect of barbaric splendour at her left sat herr schott the assyriologist whose features were effectually concealed by the convergence of his hair and beard and whose glasses were continually falling into his plate this gentleman had removed more tons of earth in the course of his explorations than had any of his confreres and his vigorous attack upon his food seemed to suggest the strenuous nature of his accustomed toil his eyes were small and deeply set and his forehead bulged fiercely above his eyes in a bony ridge his heavy brows completed the leonine suggestion of his face even to imogen who knew something of his work and greatly respected it he was entirely too reminiscent of the stone age to be altogether an agreeable dinner companion he seemed indeed to have absorbed something of the savagery of those early types of life which he continually studied Frank Wellington, the young Kansas man who had been two years out of Harvard and had published three historical novels, sat next to Mr. Will Maidenwood, who was still pale from his recent sufferings and carried his hand bandaged. They took little part in the general conversation, but, like the lion and the unicorn, were always at it, discussing every time they met whether there were or were not passages in Mr. Wellington's works which, should be eliminated out of consideration for the young person. Wellington had fallen into the hands of a great American syndicate, which most effectually befriended struggling authors whose struggles were in the right direction, and which had guaranteed to make him famous before he was thirty. Feeling the security of his position, he stoutly defended those passages which jarred upon the sensitive nerves of the young editor of Woman." Maidenwood, in the smoothest of voices, urged the necessity of the author's recognizing certain restrictions at the outset, and Miss Broadwood, who joined the argument quite without invitation or encouragement, seconded him with pointed and malicious remarks, which caused the young editor manifest discomfort. Restoff, the chemist, demanded the attention of the entire company for his exposition of his devices for manufacturing ice-cream from vegetable oils and for administering drugs in bonbons. Flavia, always noticeably restless at dinner, was somewhat apathetic toward the advocate of peptinized chocolate, and was plainly concerned about the sudden departure of Monsieur Roux, who had announced that it would be necessary for him to leave tomorrow m emile roux who sat at flavia's right was a man in middle life and quite bald clearly without personal vanity though his publishers preferred to circulate only those of his portraits taken in his ambrosial youth imogen was considerably shocked at his unlikeness to the slender black-stocked rolla he had looked at twenty he had declined into the florid settled heaviness of indifference and approaching age. There was, however, a certain look of durability and solidity about him, the look of a man who has earned the right to be fat and bald and even silent at dinner if he chooses. Throughout the discussion between Wellington and Will Maidenwood, though they invited his participation, he remained silent, betraying no sign either of interest or contempt. Since his arrival, he had directed most of his conversation to Hamilton, who had never read one of his twelve great novels. This perplexed and troubled Flavia. On the night of his arrival, Jules Martel had enthusiastically declared, "'There are schools and schools, manners and manners, but rue is rue, and Paris sets its watches by his clock.' Flavia had already repeated this remark to Imogen it haunted her and each time she quoted it she was impressed anew flavia shifted the conversation uneasily evidently exasperated and excited by her repeated failures to draw the novelist out monsieur roux she began abruptly with her most animated smile i remember so well a statement i read some years ago in your mes études des Femmes, to the effect that you had never met a really intellectual woman may i ask without being impertinent whether that assertion still represents your experience i meant madam said the novelist conservatively intellectual in a sense very special as we say of men in whom the purely intellectual functions seem almost independent and you still think a woman so constituted a mythical personage persisted flavia nodding her head encouragingly une medusa madame, who if she were discovered would transmute us all into stone said the novelist bowing gravely if she existed at all he added deliberately it was my business to find her and she has cost me many a vain pilgrimage like rudel of tripoli i have crossed seas and penetrated deserts to seek her out i have indeed encountered women of learning whose industry i have been compelled to respect many who have possessed beauty and charm and perplexing cleverness a few with remarkable information and a sort of fatal facility and mrs browning george elliot and your own madame Dudevant, queried flavia with that fervid enthusiasm with which she could on occasion utter things simply incomprehensible for their banality at her feats of this sort miss broadwood was wont to sit breathless with admiration madame while the intellect was undeniably present in the performances of these women it was only the stick of the rocket although this woman has eluded me i have studied her conditions and perturbances as astronomers conjecture the orbits of planets they have never seen if she exists she is probably neither an artist nor a woman with a mission but an obscure personage with imperative intellectual needs who absorbs rather than produces Flavia, still nodding nervously, fixed a strained glance of interrogation upon Monsieur Roux. Then you think she would be a woman whose first necessity would be to know, whose instincts would be satisfied only with the best, who could draw from others? Appreciative, merely? The novelist lifted his dull eyes to his interlocutress with an untranslatable smile and a slight inclination of his shoulders exactly so you are really remarkable madam he added in a tone of cold astonishment after dinner the guests took their coffee in the music room where Schmetzkin sat down at the piano to drum ragtime and give his celebrated imitation of the boarding school girls execution of chopin he flatly refused to play anything more serious and would practice only in the morning when he had the music room to himself Hamilton and Monsieur Roux repaired to the smoking-room to discuss the necessity of extending the tax on manufactured articles in France, one of those conversations which particularly exasperated Flavia. After Schmetzkin had grimaced and tortured the keyboard with malicious vulgarities for half an hour, Signor Donate, to put an end to his torture, consented to sing, and Flavia and Imogen went to fetch Arthur to play his accompaniments. Hamilton rose with an annoyed look and placed his cigarette on the mantel. "'Why, yes, Flavia, I'll accompany him, provided he sings something with a melody, Italian arias or ballads, and provided the recital is not interminable.' "'You will join us, Monsieur Roux? "'Thank you, but I have some letters to write,' replied the novelist, bowing. As Flavia had remarked to Imogen, Arthur really played accompaniments remarkably well. To hear him recalled vividly the days of her childhood, when he always used to spend his business vacations at her mother's home in Maine. He had possessed for her that almost hypnotic influence which young men sometimes exert upon little girls. It was a sort of phantom love affair, subjective and fanciful, a precocity of instinct. Like that tender and maternal concern which some little girls feel for their dolls. Yet this childish infatuation is capable of all the depressions and exaltations of love itself. It has its bitter jealousies, cruel disappointments, its exacting caprices. End of story nine, part one.